By studying the neurobiology of taste, some very exciting research is coming out on the use of bitter compounds in regulating our food cravings and appetite. In addition, we dive into some research on looking at bitter foods and drinks and how they can potentially lower the risk of diabetes. Tune in for more details only here on the People Scientist Podcast. Listening to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back for episode 45 on the People Scientist Podcast, where every week I arm us with some scientific evidence so we can all lead the healthy lives we want to live. This week on the People Scientist Podcast, I cover a topic that I find really fascinating, and I'm actually studying something quite similar in my lab right now, and that is bitter compounds bitter taste receptors, and reducing food cravings and food intake and diabetes. On today's episode, I will dive into the topic of how our taste receptors send signals to our brain to help guide our actions on food choices, and how scientists today are looking to use this system to help control food intake and blood sugar levels. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. We are known to have five taste perceptions, sweet, bitter, salty, sour, and umami. Now out of interest's sake, if you haven't heard of the umami taste receptor, it is the newest taste classification and it seems to respond to high protein foods that contain the amino acid glutamate. Now even though the taste of foods and drinks for the grand majority of us is related with a pleasurable and rewarding experience and feeling, But in reality, when it comes to the physiology of taste, our taste exists in order to guide our actions and inform our brain, in order to provide or avoid compounds for our body to help us survive. Now, the strongest of the taste perceptions is thought to be sweet and bitter. For example, sweet taste receptors are known to activate the reward regions in our brain because our brain realizes we need calories, and carbohydrates tend to be sweet, and that signifies energy or calories, so it activates the pleasure-reward center of our brain to reinforce that behavior. So sweet taste tells our brain, yes, go, consume this. But by contrast, bitter taste perception is the opposite. It signals to our brain, no, stop, do not consume this. And the reason being, most poisonous compounds in nature tend to have an alkaloid chemical structure and a bitter taste. Now, I'm not saying that bitter equals poisonous, as many bitter foods and drinks are safe and healthy for us to consume. But through evolution, this is how our brains perceived very bitter compounds. So our bitter taste receptors, when activated very strongly, 
are known to recruit the aversive avoidance regions of our brain. As a result, when these aversive and avoidance brain regions are activated, loss of appetite and satiation can occur, which would prevent us from consuming more of these bitter compounds. As a result, scientists today are looking to use bitter foods and drinks as a way to control appetite, food cravings, and hopefully to induce satiety and perhaps induce weight loss. In addition, what is really fascinating is that many bitter compounds are thought to be protective against diabetes, as bitter taste stints have shown to increase the release of a hormone that is protective against diabetes. As a result, some observational studies show an association of bitter beverage intake with a lower risk for diabetes. And I think within the neurobiology, there is a strong connection between bitter compounds, satiety, or satiation, appetite, and diabetes. And I'll get into all those details right now. Now, before I jump into the scientific evidence, I just want to define two words that I will use a lot throughout this episode. Now, when I say that bitter compounds can be seen as aversive or it activates the aversive brain regions, what I mean is that aversion is associated with a strong dislike or not wanting to consume that or trying to avoid it. That's what I mean by saying that really high concentrations of bitter compounds are aversive. We don't like them. Now, when I say that bitter compounds at the same time can induce the satiety brain regions or induce a feeling of satiety, what I essentially mean is that they can reduce hunger, reduce appetite, reduce craving, helping us feel satisfied and no longer hungry. Essentially, satiety or satiation means that we feel satisfied. We're not looking to eat more. So I'll be using those words a lot, satiety and aversion. Now let's jump into the clinical data. Sarnelli in the year 2019 in the International Journal of Obesity Supplements nicely reviewed how our ability to taste different compounds in food and drinks is essentially our body's way of identifying substances that we either want to ingest to help us survive or compounds that we want to avoid to keep us healthy and alive. That is essentially the priority of our brain, to keep us alive. And in order to do that, our brain makes the things that we need to survive rewarding and pleasurable. And the chemicals that are dangerous to us, our brain tends to make them aversive or associated with negative feelings. So typically, sweet taste is associated with calories, energy intake, and sugars, which our body uses to fuel itself. That is why when we taste something sweet, It can give us a rewarding, pleasurable feeling. Sweet compounds activate the reward centers of our brain. This is our brain telling us to eat this. That is why sometimes it is so hard for people to quit sweet desserts. Our brain has reinforced this behavior. But by contrast, the bitter taste receptors in our mouth exist to detect potentially poisonous compounds. Because poisonous compounds do tend to have an alkaloid chemical structure that can induce a bitter taste and activate the bitter taste receptors. Now, typically when animals or humans eat a very bitter compound, the body's response is to get rid of that compound. So for example, what we may see is increased saliva production, an induction of feelings of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and loss of appetite. Now these 
Things happen in order to clear the compound from the body and to prevent the animal or human from consuming more, hence the loss of appetite. For example, to put this into everyday context, you know the cleanses that health food or supplement stores sell? You know, the the laxative choline cleanses? Well, essentially, they are a combination of very bitter plants that are microencapsulated and will activate the bitter taste receptors in the intestines when that capsule is dissolved, which will essentially signal to the body to try to remove these compounds, resulting in diarrhea or a laxation effect. Another typical example of this is very strong coffee or dark roasted coffee. Now, coffee contains many bitter alkaloids, and in many individuals, coffee can also act like a laxative because it may activate the bitter taste receptors of the mouth and intestines. So because of this response to bitter compounds, activate the satiety and aversion centers of our brain. This was characterized very nicely by many scientists. For example, Peng and colleagues in the journal Nature in 2015 reported that when we first taste something, our cortex, the higher order decision-making and memory region of our brain, is activated, and the cortex can send signals to other brain regions in order to elicit a response to the taste. They had reported that in awake rats, different parts of the cortex in the brain will code for the sensory information of sweet and bitter taste And while the cortex of the brain plays a role in the first response to tastins, other brain regions play a role in how we respond to the tastins, meaning are we going to eat it and is it rewarding to us or are we going to respond by avoiding the food? For example, Duraujo in the Journal of Neurophysiology in 2013 noted in humans that activation of the umami taste receptors in the mouth that are associated with protein intake, resulted in activation of the rewarding, pleasurable centers of the brain in humans. Similarly, sweet taste activates the same rewarding brain regions. So as a result, high sugar and high protein foods are viewed as good and pleasurable to us by our brain. By contrast, bitter taste is coded very differently. For example, Lemon and colleagues in 2005 in the Journal of Neurophysiology as well as Donovic in 1970 in the Journal of Comparative Physiological Psychology, reported how two brain regions are activated and regulate our response to bitter tastings. These two brain regions are the interpeduncular nucleus and the nucleus of the solitary tract. Interestingly, these brain regions are known to control feelings of aversion, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, lack of appetite, or satiation. Now these brain regions are recruited in response to the bitter tastant, as I said, as a result to either clear them from the body or to stop us or prevent us from consuming more. However, as we know, there is a dose-response effect, meaning that at low doses, these aversion satiety brain regions may not be activated, but at particularly higher doses of the bitter tastants, they're more likely to be activated. But at the same time, you may be thinking, well, Stephanie, I like slightly bitter things, such as IPA beers gin and tonics, no grapefruits that might be a bit bitter. Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. These bitter drinks or fruits also contain other rewarding things such as alcohol or sugar, which in themselves are known to hijack and activate the reward and pleasure centers of our brain. And so as a result, these foods become reinforcing because of what else is present in them. This is in part contributing to someone liking these bitter foods or drinks. 
Second, there is a dose-response curve, meaning a low dose of a bitter compound will not necessarily activate these satiety and aversion brain regions. But the higher the concentration of the bitter compound, the more bitter it is, then the more likely and more strongly it will activate these brain regions, and I've seen that in my lab all the time. Now, genetics also play a factor into this, meaning how someone responds to different bitter tastings. For example, do you ever wonder why some people love cilantro and some people hate it and say that it tastes like soap? Well, in 2012, Erickson in the journal Flavor identified a gene, OR6A2, that regulates our ability to detect the aldehydes in cilantro, explains some of the variation in our response to it as a result, because there are slight differences and how different people will code for this particular gene. So it's called a SNP, or a single nucleotide polymorphism. So some people, for example, will have a functional gene for this, and some people will have a less functional gene or a non-functioning gene altogether, meaning that they will either be able to detect the aldehydes, detect them less, or detect them not at all in the cilantro. This will determine if an aversive reaction is had or not. There are many other genes that play a role in our ability to taste sweet or bitter compounds. Like there are 25 different bitter taste receptors in humans that we know of, and all of them could have different variations in how they work in all of us. And as a result, this could change our response to certain foods and drinks and whether or not we like them or hate them. But if we go back to the concept of bitter compounds inducing the loss of appetite or feeling satiated, This in itself has had scientists intrigued in regard to helping us curb our food cravings and appetite. So what does the clinical evidence say? Well, one of the best characterized combinations of bitter compounds is coffee. Caffeine itself is known to activate the bitter taste receptors. I've seen that in the lab. But coffee also contains many other bitter compounds, such as chlorogenic acid. Now, the stronger the coffee the more likely it will contain more bitter compounds, the longer the roasting period. And the more bitter it is, and the more likely it is to activate the satiety and aversion brain centers. Greenberg, in 2012, in the Journal of the American College of Nutrition, conducted a randomized, blinded, controlled study in 11 men to examine the appetite-reducing effects of four drinks, either water, caffeine in water, regular caffeinated coffee, or decaffeinated coffee. One hour after drinking the beverage, the participants drank a sugar drink. Now, gut hormones that regulate appetite, satiety, and food cravings were assessed afterward in the blood. They also assessed their feelings of hunger. Interestingly, decaffeinated coffee had the strongest effect on reducing feelings of hunger and increasing blood levels of the gut hormone peptide YY that is known to reduce appetite and increase feelings of satiety. Coffee was the second best in reducing hunger, and caffeine in water was the least effective, next to water itself, of course. This study suggests that the compounds in coffee itself, regardless of caffeine content, has an appetite-suppressing effect and could modulate our gut hormone levels. Now, it may be due to the bitter compounds, but it is possible that it could be due to another mechanism as well. But this study did not further explore what it was in the coffee that elicited these effects, but nevertheless, the results are really interesting. Bobilo in 2018 in the European Journal of Nutrition investigated the ability of a gum with bitter compounds to alter food cravings and appetite. 
They used a gum that contained Carcinia Cambogia, green coffee extract, and L-carnitine. Now, 57 people were divided into three groups, either gum with the active ingredients that I just mentioned, regular gum with no active ingredients, or no gum at all. The scientists noted that both the gum groups had a reduction in high sugar snack intake and reduced feelings of hunger. The gum that contained the active ingredients of Garcinia Cambogia green coffee extract and L-carnitine also tended to reduce high-fat snack intake and overall resulted in a reduced intake of calories throughout the day. So perhaps it's not just beverages, but perhaps gum-containing bitter compounds could also help satiate individuals and reduce calorie intake. Manella and colleagues in the British Journal of Nutrition in 2016 investigated if micro-encapsulated bitter compounds in a pudding could reduce appetite, food cravings, and food intake in 20 individuals in a randomized, double-blinded, crossover, placebo-controlled study. Interestingly, the bitter compounds were micro-encapsulated, as I said, which would prevent the people from being able to taste the bitter compounds, but instead, as the capsule breaks down in the stomach, the bitter taste receptors along the intestines would become activated by these compounds. Now, the bitter compounds here were a root extract of a plant called Gentiana lutea. This plant is very well known for its very bitter taste and was in the old American soft drink called Moxie, and is in some aperitif alcoholic drinks in France. Now, the 20 individuals in this study were asked to eat the pudding at breakfast that either contained the bitter extract or none. Several times after the consumption of the pudding, blood samples were taken to assess measures of satiety and hunger hormones. They also assessed their food intake throughout the rest of the day. In the end, the scientists noted no significant difference in satiety and hunger hormones or blood glucose levels in the groups. However, a trend for a higher response of glucagon-like peptide 1, which is a protective hormone against diabetes, was observed after bitter compound intake versus the placebo pudding. Eating the bitter compounds in the morning resulted in a 30% reduction in calorie intake in the post-lunch period compared to the placebo. So detection of bitter compounds by the intestines by microencapsulated bitter compounds may induce some loss of appetite and intake of calories throughout the day, and 30% reduction is quite significant. Now, to activate the bitter taste receptors in the mouth as well, though, I feel would be even more powerful, as that would also send a signal to the satiety and aversion brain region. So you would have activation of the bitter taste receptors from the mouth all the way down the intestines, as opposed to, in this clinical trial, just the intestines. Now, seeing as the bitter compounds trended toward increasing glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1, which is protective against diabetes, I dove further into the literature to see if there were any other studies investigating bitter foods and diabetes. And there are a lot of studies looking at bitter melon or bitter gourd or other bitter compounds such as limonene on diabetes or measures of diabetes. Now, most of these studies were conducted in animals, but there are a few clinical trials being conducted in humans. So let me share some of the clinical data. In 2011, Fuang Chang in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology conducted a randomized controlled trial with 129 subjects that were living with diabetes. Now these subjects either received a capsule of the dried bitter melon fruit pulp of either 500 milligrams, 1,000 milligrams, or 2,000 milligrams a day, 
or metformin, a conventional anti-diabetic medicine, for four weeks. Now, at the end of four weeks, the drug metformin was the best in reducing fructosamine, which is an intermediate measure of blood glucose. And metformin was also the best for reducing fasting blood glucose and blood glucose levels after an oral glucose tolerance test. The group that took the highest dose of bitter melon at 2,000 milligrams a day did see a significant reduction in fructosamine levels by 10.2 micromoles per liter. By comparison, the metformin group saw a 16.8 micromole per liter drop. They did some safety testing as well in this clinical trial, which was great. And they did not notice any significant adverse effects with the bitter melon extract versus the metformin group. And no significant changes to their blood tests were seen. For example, they looked at liver enzymes, blood urea nitrogen, creatinine, hematocrit, and hemoglobin. And they saw no significant change after four weeks. So it's possible that an extract of bitter melon might have some beneficial effects on measures of diabetes. Kim in the journal, Diabetologia, I always have a hard time saying that one because it's Latin, Diabetologia in 2014 reported that a very strong bitter chemical called denatonium benzoate stimulated the release of GLP-1 and reduced blood glucose levels in mice. Now, clinically, Dotson in 2008 in the journal PLOS 1 reported that individuals who have variants of specific bitter taste receptors may be at an increased risk of diabetes. Now, this relationship to genetic variation of bitter taste receptors and the risk for diabetes essentially is a clinical study that shows there is a connection between our ability to taste bitter compounds and how this could potentially be related to glucagon-like peptide 1, which is that anti-diabetic hormone and therefore our risk for diabetes. So the research is now really starting to come out to show that there is a connection between our bitter taste receptors, how they function, and our risk for diabetes. Now, when we think of the neurobiology of aversion, satiety, bitter compounds, and risk for diabetes, I think they're all tied together. For example, there was a paper that was actually published from the lab that I'm a part of by Paul Kenny. The first author is Louis Tuesta. It was published in 2017 in the journal Nature Neuroscience. And they had reported that in this satiety aversion brain region in the hindbrain, the NTS brain region, has neurons that are positively labeled for GLP-1 which is that anti-diabetic or protective hormone against diabetes. And so as a result, it appears that when these specific neurons in the brain are activated, that it can induce that satiety-satisfied response. And so I think that blood glucose levels, GLP-1, satiety, and diabetes are all very closely linked together in regard to our neurobiology. So this begs the question, should we consume bitter compounds to help control our blood sugar levels and food cravings? Well, as I mentioned before, coffee is the most studied bitter tastant clinically. So let's look at some of the data. In 2002 in The Lancet, they reported that those who drank seven or more cups of coffee a day were half as likely to develop type 2 diabetes versus those who drank two or fewer cups per day. That's quite substantial. Seven cups of coffee is a lot. Now, do keep in mind that a cup of coffee is 250 milliliters. And a lot of the times when we drink coffee, we may be drinking closer to two cups at a time. Salazar Martinez in the Annals of Internal Medicine in 2004 followed nearly 42,000 men and over 86,000 women for 18 years. 
and they asked these individuals to fill out diet records and to send their health reports every two to four years. This study reported very similar results as the previous one I just mentioned, that those who drank six or more cups of coffee per day had a 54% lower odds of developing type 2 diabetes. Now, decaffeinated coffee also seemed to be protective, but to a lesser extent, as four cups or more of decaffeinated coffee lowered diabetes incidence by 15 to 26%. More recently, by Ding and colleagues in 2014 in the journal Diabetes Care, they conducted a systematic review to combine 28 clinical studies and concluded that there was a dose response to coffee intake on diabetes risk. Meaning, compared with no or rare coffee consumption, the relative risk for diabetes declined as coffee consumption increased. For example, if one cup of coffee was consumed per day, they had an 8% lower risk versus no coffee. They had a 15%, 21%, 25%, 28%, and a 33% reduction for every increase in coffee intake. So, for example, that 33% reduction was seen for six cups of coffee per day. However, it is important to point out again that coffee contains caffeine, which is a stimulant, which could also not only raise heart rate, but it can also increase feelings of anxiety in some individuals. So if you have heart disease or are living with anxiety, decaffeinated coffee may be a better alternative for you, as one cup of decaffeinated coffee a day was associated with a 6% lower chance of diabetes in this study. So not as effective, but still effective. So you might be thinking, okay, now that I know the science of of bitter compounds and how it could reduce appetite, reduce food cravings, maybe reduce the risk of diabetes, how do I incorporate this into my daily routine? Well, my personal opinion is that you want the activation of the bitter taste receptors in the mouth because that can send a strong signal to the satiety region of the brain as well as along the intestinal tract. So the pills of the bitter compounds or the cleanses where you don't taste the bitter compound, I don't think are going to be as effective. I honestly think that adding healthy beverages and foods that naturally are bitter to your regular routine could potentially have a benefit, and out of all the options, I think is the best option to try. So here are some examples. Coffee that is roasted longer tends to be more bitter. So a dark roast or French roast coffee, for example, could be interesting to add to your daily routine if you haven't yet. Decaffeinated coffee is an option. Limonene is a very strong bitter tastant, and this is present in citrus oil or the zest from the peels of lemons and oranges. So that could also be an option. For example, you could make a tea with the zest or peel of citrus fruit. Cruciferous vegetables such as Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, and broccoli contain isothiocyanates, which are bitter compounds. Dandelion greens are also known to contain bitter compounds and could be made into a tea. And green tea also contains some possible bitter tastants. Now, the stronger the bitter tastant, the more likely it is to induce that satiety response because it's more likely to recruit those aversion and satiety brain regions. Now, the goal in the clinical trials is never to consume something that is so bitter that it makes someone feel sick. The goal is just to consume something that is slightly bitter in order to potentially induce or activate those satiety brain regions to help one gain better control of their cravings, appetite, so they can eat a healthy diet. Now keep in mind that you don't want to add a lot of sugar or sweetness to these bitter drinks or foods as that could potentially negate 
the satiety response, as now you are going to activate the opposing brain regions, the rewarding brain regions, at the same time as trying to activate the satiety aversion brain regions, and they're going to compete against each other. So ideally, if you can have your your coffee, your tea unsweetened, that is more likely to have the satiety response as opposed to having a sweetened beverage. There's no evidence to support that, but it makes sense neurobiologically. I do feel the need to mention that supplements containing extracts of another bitter plant called bitter orange that is commonly sold to promote weight loss and to promote athletic performance could be dangerous. Articles and reviews warn of potential cardiovascular and other health hazards that may be associated with the use of dietary supplements containing bitter orange extract, as it contains a compound called synephrine. Now, because this plant contains synephrine, it is very similar to the compound ephedrine, which is a very strong stimulant. And very strong stimulants do have the potential for negative side effects. For example, some case reports and studies, such as by Bowie in the Annals of Pharmacotherapy in 2006, noted that extracts of bitter orange may increase blood pressure and heart rate. We also know that strong stimulants can also induce feelings of anxiety, and some reports of gastrointestinal issues have also been published. However, it's a little bit complicated because Katz in 2013 in the journal Food and Chemical Toxicology reported no adverse effects after 60 days in humans taking up to 98 milligrams of bitter orange per day. So perhaps I would say just be cautious with supplements for bitter orange. So that is it, my People Scientist Army, for episode 45, the neurobiology of taste and how we can use this knowledge to better understand our eating behavior. Sweet and umami flavors can recruit the reward and pleasurable centers of our brain, as our brain believes we need sugar and protein to survive. By contrast, bitter tastings recruit the aversive and satiety brain regions in order to prevent us from eating potentially poisonous foods that tend to be bitter. As a result, we can use this knowledge to potentially help us curb appetite, cravings, and food intake. Bitter foods and compounds may induce hormones that induce feelings of satiety, reduce appetite, and may reduce food intake later in the day as shown by some clinical trials. Bitter plants and compounds also appear to induce the release of a hormone called GLP-1 that is protective against diabetes. As a result, coffee, which contains many bitter compounds, is associated with a reduced risk of type 2 diabetes. If you are interested in adding some bitter foods or drinks to your daily routine, let me know how that goes for you. You can reach out to me on any of my five social media platforms. I'll have my handles in the description box below. So until next week, I hope you all have a super healthy week, and I will meet you back here the same time and the same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.